Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Nowadays, 20 bucks barely gets you a burger and fries, or maybe a quarter tank of gas. You know what it will get you, though? For just 20 bucks a month, you can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data from my sponsor and my cell phone company, Pure Talk. Make the switch today and save an additional 50% off your first month. Choose a wireless company who shares our values. Go to puretalk.com slash jesse to switch today so you can actually afford that burger and fries. That's puretalk.com slash jesse. The 2024 election is upon us, and now is the time to fight back against the war on masculinity in American society today. Thankfully, the patriots at Chalk, C-H-O-Q, are here to help real American men maximize their masculinity by boosting testosterone levels up to 20% over 90 days. I've been taking a male vitality stack from Chalk for like three years now. It is incredible. They are here to help make American men strong again. Testosterone testosterone fueled again maximize your masculinity today at choq.com use the code jesse for a massive discount on any chalk subscription for life choq.com code jesse limited time offer subscription cancelable at any time newton group transfer they are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare these stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out.
This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Could you order the death of 500,000 people, innocent people, in your own country? Men, women, children, you order their deaths. Could you do it? You should. Hang on, I'll explain. A long, long time ago, early 1900s, China was in a bit of a, well, upheaval would be putting it nicely. Remember, this was a time really on the planet. I mean, we're talking, you know, the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand era where monarchies were going away. The old established ways of business were going away. And China, even though they were far separated from Europe, they were going through this too. I think it was 1911, their last emperor, gone. And they became a republic. Only, not really. We like to view everything from the lens of how things are now. It's human nature. I do it too. Oh, it's China. Uh, Was it really China? China was a bunch of different factions, even though they were technically a republic once they got rid of the last emperor, they were really run by warlords, and they flat out called them warlords. Now, again, we view everything from today's point of view. So when I say warlord, what do you picture? What's every warlord you've ever heard of? He's some dude in Africa in the back of a pickup truck on a 50 cow stealing rice from the peasants. It wasn't necessarily that. Some of these warlords were actually really great leaders. Very benevolent, benevolent, treated the people well. Some were terrible, some were good, and they went through a long period of time, 10, 15 years of trying to kill each other to seize power. You know, a vacuum of, of leadership doesn't last long. It's filled up pretty quickly. And finally, China is, I'm going to say taken over, but you need to understand that's being, that's using that term really loosely. It was taken over by a man named Chiang Kai-shek. I'm just going to call him Chang because one, I don't like to barrage you with names. That's why I never do it. You may be one of these detail freaks who wants them all. Look, I only touch on these things. You're welcome to dig into them, and they're fascinating stories. But I don't barrage you with names because I tend to lose them when people do that to me. I lose track of who's who. Uh, Well, you have to understand, Chiang Kai-shek and Seem Hao Yo, well, he was working for Dang Sing Yum, and and, and I'm already gone. I'm already lost. I don't know who, who, what, who was working for So for future purposes, just know the leader of China, leader in air fingers quotes, is Chiang Kai-shek. I'm going to call him Chiang. He is, by all accounts, a very capable leader. There's a real nationalist Chinese 
feeling at this point in time where they know they're divided up as a country and China isn't really a unified place at all, but they kind of like to be. For the most part, they're speaking the same language. They're all speaking Mandarin. You know, it's, it's we're, we're kind of a country here, right? We used to be a country, kind of, kind of a country. It's mostly farmers, but they're starting to industrialize, starting to get their act together. But this is certainly not a high point in Chinese history. And let's take a, just a brief step back, understand that much as we hate them today, and rightfully so, Chinese history is extensive. It's one of those things, virtually any period in history where you're studying something else or reading about something else, whatever it may be. You know, the Achaemenid Persian Empire, oh, they were huge. Yeah, China was big then. Oh, what about the what about the Spartans? China was big then. What about Rome? What about ancient Rome? China was big then. What about ancient Egypt? Oh, yeah, China was big then. China was always big. It's just China was so insular and thought of as being so far away, you don't think about it. But China has more history than any country on earth. It's due. And that's where China was at this time. Now, let's talk about where Japan was. You see, Japan... They were coming out of a samurai era in the 1800s. And when I say coming out of a samurai era, you may be like, Jesse, you're so stupid. It's the 1800s. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. They were still coming out of the samurai era. You want to talk about behind the times? People talk endlessly about showing up in Japan on, you know, a, a trade mission or a diplomatic mission. And they're looking around like, this is, this is like traveling back in time. These people are backwards. Japan, just then, as in now, kind of very rigid in their old ways. So Japan realized um, this is not going to work. And they did some massive move called the Meiji Restoration. I'm not going to go into all that because it gets kind of boring. Just know that Japan woke up one day, really kind of impressive, and looked around and said, uh, we're backwards. And we have decided that we're no longer going to be backwards. And they did it. (laughs) All of a sudden, we're in the late 1800s, and Japan has a fierce modern army. Japan has industrialized big time. Japan goes to war with Russia and beats the crap out of them. The Russo-Japanese War. And the whole world looks around like, uh, what? What just happened? These guys are Asian. They can't do that. And when I say that, you know, sounding like everyone was racist, that's because everyone was racist. They, they just were. And I'm not, I'm not doing that thing where, oh, the poor Japanese, because the Japanese were as racist or more than everyone else against the Chinese, against white people. Russia looked down on Asians. China looked down on Japan. Japan looked down on China. This was a time in history, well, for most of history, it was this way, where people were very, very open about their racism. It's not like these days where that little bit of hidden prejudice you have for this person or that person, you can't voice it or you'll have your whole career wiped out instantly. This this was an era where you could openly write books about it. Winston Churchill, they still trash the guy. He'd just write books about, well, these people are clearly inferior. <laughs> like, what? wait, what? You can't, you can't say that. You could in that era. 
So Japan beating an army of white people was a bit of a shock back then. And Japan has an issue. Here we are. We're modern. We're industrialized. We got this pretty kick-butt army. We need resources, man. We have nothing. And Japan, I mean, I realize it's just an island, but it's an island without a lot to it. It's got some beautiful country, but there's just not a lot of natural resources. There's no oil, and this is the oil era. There's no not. They need resources. They need rubber. And they're looking over at China, and they're thinking, well, I mean, it's not really a country. And understand this, it really wasn't really a country. China was broken up into a bunch of different things, just getting its act together. Then Japan looks around and says, well, I mean, everyone else has colonies, and everyone else is just moving on up in the world. I think I'm going to head on into China. Stretch my legs a little bit. And they did. And if I'm making that sound like kind of a, well, we're just going to show up and walk in, that's kind of what they did. The northern part of China wasn't really under anyone's control, and Japan said, I I think this is ours now. I think we're just going to take it. And when you have an up-and-coming nationalist Chinese movement... In a, Jap- in a Japan on the up, that's going to cause some tension, isn't it? Oh, tension's coming. Hang on. Seventh, 1937. That's the answer to the question you're looking for. If any, well, if someone ever asks you what day did World War II actually start, you give them that date and they'll tell you you're an idiot. No, it didn't. It, Hitler invaded Poland. Oh no, it started on. Oh, sorry, not June, July seventh, 1937. I misspoke. You see, what happened was. Again, Japan just kind of moved into northern China, and they didn't necessarily take it over, but they kind of took it over. We're talking 10, 15,000 troops. Japan has their act together big time as a nation right now. They've modernized. They have an emperor, but they also have a prime minister. Well, the people have elections. It's this, this country's getting its act together. Kind of. They're getting their act together, but they're also a bit stuck in the old ways. We'll get to that in a second. So July 7th, 1937, again, that's when World War II actually began. Japan is on one side of Marco Polo Bridge. Yes, that Marco Polo. No, he was not just a game you played in the pool as a kid. China's on the other side of the bridge. There are lots of tensions leading up to this that you can read up on. I'm skipping over a lot of things. These guys are not getting along. China wants them out. Does not 
have the ability to move them out. China's not near militarily what Japan is. Japan wants to stay. I'll tell you, America and the international community wants Japan out. They're looking over there. Remember, we're this is post-World War I. We want to really try to avoid things like that again. And we're all looking at Japan like, bro, you can't just move in. Go, go back home. And Japan says, no, nah, I, don't, I don't think we will. Actually, I'm really comfortable right here. In fact, this is kind of ours now. And July 7th, 1937, a Japanese soldier on the Japanese side of Marco Polo Bridge gets up to go take a crap. Not making that up. He's gone for a while. Apparently, the man likes to hunker down. Japan knocks on the Chinese door and says, we're missing a dude. You need to let us come into your town and search it. China says, no, no, you're you're not doing that. And then it was on. By the way, the guy returned, obviously, as soon as he was done using the restroom. But by then, let's be honest, they all wanted it. Japan wanted this war to happen. And then it was on. And if you're China, now you're in trouble. Now you're in deep trouble because you cannot stop this army. Now, luckily for you, Japan doesn't have the resources and China is huge. And again, remember how I told you China was extremely divided and kind of broken up, broken up and really, really rural at this time? That ended up being majorly to their benefit. I'll get to that in a second. You're Japan, you start kicking the crap out of any Chinese army you find, and finally you find your way to Shanghai. Shanghai was, as it is now, a bustling international city. And when I say international, that part is about to matter a lot. Because 120,000 Japanese soldiers go marching into Shanghai to face down 200,000 Chinese soldiers to defend Shanghai. And if that sounds like an advantage for China, that's because you do not understand how poorly equipped and led the Chinese army was. Japan, very much the opposite. Disciplined, equipped, China could not possibly win this and did not win this, and here's the issue. Remember when I said it was an international city? There were 60,000 people from all over the world that were not Chinese in Shanghai, and these were not just poor college kids backpacking their way through China doing some sightseeing. These were people with reputations. These were missionaries. These were journalists, journalists with cameras, journalists with the ability and willingness to write things down and cable those things all over the planet. So when Japan invades a foreign city like Shanghai and begins to bayonet people in the middle of the road, well, the world found out about it. And in Japan's mind, well, we're just we're just doing war. What are you talking about? The world had changed and Japan had not. Now, Japan won the Battle of Shanghai, 
And they weren't done yet because the capital of China at this time, remember the Chinese leader Chang? Well, the capital is set up in a place called Nanking or Nanjing. They call it both things. Don't ask me why it has two different names. I'm going to call it Nanking. And the Chinese troops that are fleeing Shanghai, they're kind of fighting the Japanese as the Japanese take off for Nanking. And the, the Japanese get to Nanking. And they take Nanking, and this is not about Nanking. I'm not going to go into that right now for a lot of different reasons. One, because that's about three shows, and two, the things the Japanese did to the Chinese in Nanking were so horrific. You know all the gross stuff I tell you on this show? All the, all the various horrible, I mean, I told you about a forest of impaled people, and I told you how they did it, didn't I? Let me, let me just say that before I tell you this. I would not give you the details on the air about what the Japanese did to the Chinese people in Nanking. It's that bad. And you know how normally I tell you, oh, just Google it. You can check that out. You can see this dead dude. He's laying there. Do not Google Nanking, uh, especially if you have a weak stomach, especially if you're on a work computer, especially if you've just eaten or are about to eat. And I am not joking. It's that bad. That bad. It's so bad, there was a Nazi, a card-carrying Nazi named John Raby in Nanking who spent the entire time when the Japanese were there approaching the Japanese saying, whoa, these are war crimes, uh, fellas, there are rules here. A Nazi was approaching the Japanese saying, guys, that's a little too far, isn't it? That should tell you what happened there. So back to the beginning of the show, you remember that dike I told you about? You see, there's a dike holding back the Yellow River. And you're Chiang Kai-shek. You are the leader of China. Japan has been kicking your rear end all over the country. They own all the urban areas. And you have to stop this Japanese horde from completely taking over your nation and to do so you have to ruin this dike. And that dike is there for a reason. And if you ruin that dike, 500,000 Chinese people are about to drown. Anywhere between 3 and 10 million people are about to have their lives destroyed, the ones who don't drown. So back to my question in the beginning. Could you do it? I asked you in the beginning if you could kill 500,000 people, innocent people of your own countrymen. You shook your head. I'm asking you again, could you do it? Because let's be honest. You have to do it. That's called leadership. The Jesse Kelly Show.
Could you bulldoze that dike and kill 500,000 of your own countrymen? Well, you can if you don't want to be the new Japan. There's this way of thinking. It's a very 2020, and I do not mean that as a compliment, a very 2020 way of thinking. Where if it saves one life, we have to... What are you talking about? The human condition, the human experience for all of us, for you, me, the Pope, the President, the rich, the poor, the human experience is you are born and you are going to die. And the human experience, to some extent, all of us, we are cogs in the wheel, brother. And leadership, especially leading armies, leading nations, at any point, wartime or peacetime, means you do trade lives. There's that great Captain America line from one of the Avengers movies, we don't trade lives That sounds nice in the movies. Yes, you do. You do that all the time. That's part of your job. Do you understand what we've done in a two-month period? You understand how many restaurants we've shut alone? I'm just one that's just one industry. And they've been able to remain partially open if they want to do to-go orders. We've not only shut them. At least, they're estimating this, and I say it's probably more, at least 20% of the restaurants are never coming back. Never coming back. We have wiped out wealth generationally. I just read a story. Someone sent it to me yesterday. You can email me anytime you want. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. I got a couple of your conspiracy theories. I'll get to those, by the way. Those are sweet. But I got one yesterday, and I'll tell you, man, it was it was tough to read. It was one of those stories, one of those rags-to-riches stories you've heard a million times, but it was real. It was some dude just pouring his heart out, and it was his story. Rough upbringing, blue-collar, comes up working blue-collar jobs and, you know, for concerts and events. About 30 years ago, starts his own event company. They put on big events. And I mean big events. I can't, I promised him I wouldn't tell you where big events, events you would know about in places you would know of. And they focus because this is how he came up. They focus on working with small business vendors everywhere they go to try to help them out. One of these establishment family companies, now over 600 employees, and they make all their money from February to March. And he declared bankruptcy yesterday, and that company's gone. And you could tell... Before he even admitted it to me in the email, which he did, you could tell he was crying as he wrote it. 
a lifetime of work gone. Those small business vendors he uses in all the different places, he told me a lot of them are going to go belly up too because without that big contract he brings to town, that's their business gone. That's one story amongst millions. Three million homeowners aren't even paying their mortgages right now. 40% of Americans have an immediate family member employment gone. Oh, did I mention the debt we're piling up is like nothing I've ever seen in my life, and half the Republicans are cheering? They're cheering it. They're acting like they accomplished something. We passed a $2 trillion bill. $2 trillion? That number is so big. Honestly, it reminds me of that Stalin line of one death is a tragedy, a million is a, st- a statistic. $2 trillion is a number so enormous, the human mind cannot comprehend it. We passed it like it was nothing. And the money's already gone. Like that. They passed another $500 billion one yesterday. Wow, that's a small business relief. And they're all celebrating it. Woohoo! People. John Corrin, Republican senator from the great state of Texas, came out and said, well, we don't have time to worry about debts and deficits at a time like this. Um, are you out of your mind? Do you know what happens when that bubble bursts? That is America gone. And you know why we're going through all of this? Because nobody had the balls to blow the dike. Because he stood there, Chiang Kai-shek stood there on that dike with the decision to make. He could kill 500,000 of his own countrymen and in so doing save his nation. Or he could, well, if it, if it costs one life, it's not worth it, and surrender to the Japanese. And we freaking surrender to the Japanese. I can't, I still, I'm, my, my jaw hangs open at what we've done. Like it's nothing. Like it's nothing. Like we had no other choice. And speaking of Japan, they didn't do it. They didn't lock down. You know why? And this this part, oh man, I'll tell you what, this, this part yesterday when I was reading about it, this part hit me hard. You know why Japan didn't lock down? Because after World War II, with the aid of America, they came up with a constitution, freedoms, civil liberties, you know, kind of what we're supposed to be the leader in. And Japan didn't lock down because they don't have the authority to lock down their own citizens because Japanese citizens take their freedom seriously. What did we do as Americans? Not only did we lock down, not only did the government tell us to lock down, go to your home, shut your business, get on unemployment. We did it. We bent the knee like it was, well, I mean, if the mayor says so, screw him. 
He's not your king. We don't have kings here. I do not acknowledge the authority of a mayor, a governor, a senator, a president to force me to stop working. You don't have that authority. You may have that authority in Germany. You may have that authority in China. You may have that authority in Russia, Iran. I don't care. You do not have the authority in the United States of America to do that. Well, at least you didn't used to. Land of the free, my rear end. We laid down like it was nothing, like a bunch of sissies. Japan, you know, those, those backwards Japanese, they stood up and they were like, ah, you're not, you're not locking us down. You can't take our civil liberties. It's not even an option. Land of the free means freedom from government control. It does not mean hot dogs and fireworks and football Land of the free means freedom from government control. And they destroyed us. And we let them do it. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Like a stain on your brain, you can't get out. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I, I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. Ah, it's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum sunflower seeds. I I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Chew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. Hollywood is under siege from external forces. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover. Brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash jesse. Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For catastrophically injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Tunnel 
Minota Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans because all veterans who served honorably, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that historically delivers sound returns. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. The 2024 election is upon us, and now is the time to fight back against the war on masculinity in American society today. Thankfully, the patriots at Chuck, C-H-O-Q, are here to help real American men maximize their masculinity by boosting testosterone levels up to 20% over 90 days. I've been taking a male vitality stack from Chuck for like three years now. It is incredible. They are here to help make American men strong again. Testosterone testosterone fueled again maximize your masculinity today at choq.com use the code jesse for a massive discount on any chalk subscription for life choq.com code jesse limited time offer subscription cancelable at any time 